You know the most could not see that? Even when it was explained to them? You just said that He was your bread of life. I want to tell you what that means. You eat your bread to sustain your physical life. As Psalm 104 and verse 15 says, He gave bread to make strong the heart of man. But I want to tell you that the worst circumstances of any life in here is heaven compared to the eternal death that is coming. And He is that bread of life. And if you do not eat of that bread to sustain yourself with eternal life, you will perish in hell forever. And it is not our eating that gives us that life, but it is our eating that lays hold of that life for our sweet assurance and confident understanding and knowing that when that day comes for us, we will have eternal life. And not only then, but now that we are in possession of it because we believe on the true bread of life and eat Him by believing on Him. And you just sang that you understood. Bread sustains life. The Lord Jesus Christ sustains us eternally. In John chapter 6, I want to read verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Now that is a serious statement that we want to get answered because we want to eat His flesh and drink His blood that we might have life in us. We want to show that we do have life by eating and drinking. He said of them because they did not, they were showing they did, have, they did not have any life. This, is, this chapter has 71 verses and we are going to skim across it like a high-speed hydroplane. We have written a document and put it on the internet attacking the Passion of Christ, the movie by Mel Gibson. Because of that, we've had to endure hundreds of ignorant Catholics writing us in favor of the Mass and the doctrine of transubstantiation, which they claim is taught in the verse that I just read you. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. And they take a liberty from that to take it literally and have flesh and blood on their altars. We're going to keep the Lord's Supper tonight the way it's supposed to be kept, as a simple memorial of His death for us. Amen. There are in this chapter the strongest inducements for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And my goal tonight is two. I want to dispel the Roman Catholic literalism that ruins that religion and so many others because they take a literal approach to the Bible and they do not look for the spiritual sense of what is taught there. And I want everyone in here that's intelligent enough to understand the English language to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Son of God has come into this world and left a witness of Himself, and you are to believe on Him, it is a commandment for men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed Himself to this world as the Son of God, and you are to believe on Him. The Bible will tell us why some men don't and why some men do. And it will tell us what it proves about those that don't and what it proves about those that do. And may everyone in here humble themselves right now and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with me. Let's get the large context.
in verses 1 through 4 of this chapter, Jesus has gone over a portion of the Sea of Galilee, not all the way across it, because if you read this chapter carefully and you really want to understand it, you better get an atlas out and figure out what's being said, because there's some interesting things in this chapter as well as 1 Corinthians 10. But I'm not going to deal at length with those. You can There'll be an outline. First four verses say that a great multitude followed him in verse 2 because they saw the miracles that he did. Now they're following because they saw the signs and wonders that he did in healing diseases, but they were not true believers. Verses 5 through 14 describe the feeding of the 5,000. When he saw this large company come to him, They've gone across the sea. These people are well away from home. They've crossed the sea to follow him. They're very eager to hear about Jesus Christ. He has this large crowd. They can only produce a lunch with a few loaves and a few fishes. But Jesus multiplies those loaves and fishes, feeds 5,000 men, asks for the remnants to be picked up, and they fill 12 baskets full. Now that is an astounding miracle. And it tells us in verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. That prophet that should come into the world is Jesus Christ, prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, the people of Israel said, We don't want God to talk to us. It's too scary. We want a man like you, Moses, to talk to us. And God said, I have heard what you have said. I will raise up a prophet of your brethren, like unto Moses, and he will speak to you. But every man that doesn't believe what the man that I'm going to raise up speaks to you, I will destroy him from among the people. That's the prophecy from Deuteronomy 18. Now these people recognize they've now seen the healing of diseases and they've seen the multiplying of a small lunch to feed 5,000 men full. If you read the story, this is just a little, there's little details in here that I love, but I don't have time for them tonight because this is not a sermon about the feeding of the 5,000. But there's one little detail in here that when the disciples passed among the crowd, you could have as much fish as you wanted. I mean, they filled those men. You can read it in here. There's a little detail that you were asked how much you wanted, and you got your full. And there's still 12 baskets full left over. They believed on him, but they didn't really believe, brethren. Now, if you were there and saw Jesus Christ doing miracles of healing the diseased, would you believe on him? Would you believe on him and want to follow him because you found it curious and exciting and interesting that a man could heal the sick. That's not believing on him. When he multiplied a a small lunch and fed 5,000, would you believe that he has to be a great prophet of God? And so you think that Scripture is being fulfilled? That's not believing on him enough yet. You need to believe on him that he is the Son of God, sent from God into this world to be the Messiah, to lay down his life for sin. Because we have something facing us that none of us want to think about, and that's that we're going to die and face eternal death. And that's the most important feature of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He didn't come into this world just to heal and just to provide big lunches. He came into this world to lay down his life a ransom for many. Verses 15 through 21, Jesus walks on the water. These people, after they were fed, Jesus dismissed himself to go into a mountain to pray. They all waited there all night long because they wanted more of Jesus. Now these are this is a dedicated church, wouldn't you say? 5,000 men? They're waiting there all night for Jesus, but they're not believers. Jesus goes into a mountain to pray. The disciples get into a boat and go back across this corner of the Sea of Galilee. All the people stand there. This verse is down here in verse 22. All the people stand there and watch. The disciples get into the boat, and the boat take off, and they know Jesus isn't in the boat. He still has to be on their side of the lake, so they wait for him all night long. And then when nobody shows up in the morning and the disciples are gone, they get boats themselves and cross that part of the Sea of Galilee back to the city of Capernaum. And when they go into the city of Capernaum, guess what they find? The Lord Jesus Christ. Three miracles. He walked on the water to get across that part of the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum. Verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? You know, they hadn't met a man before that walked on water. But do you know what? I want to tell you something right now. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and healed all manner of disease. He multiplied a small lunch to feed 5,000, and he walked on water. And men still did not believe on him as the Son of God to fall at his feet and beg for the forgiveness of their sins. Here's how Jesus answered them. And brethren, this is not a seeker-sensitive ministry. And I'm going to take a couple asides right about this section and talk to you just for a moment because in the next couple of weeks, you may hear me refer to the words seeker-sensitive. And you may hear me refer to a pastor named Rick Warren of the Saddleback Community Church in Orange County, California. Seeker-sensitive ministries are what is driving these mega-churches. If you go anywhere in this city, have you seen a book called The Purpose-Driven Church or The Purpose-Driven Life? That is Rick Warren, the pastor of this church. A seeker-sensitive are their words for how they structure their churches. Those are their words. A seeker is John Q. Public out there in the world who has no regard for God or church. They call him a seeker. He's not seeking anything but to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. By their definition, not anyone else's. A seeker to them in this little definition of having a seeker-sensitive church is anyone out there on the street who never goes to church. They do not want anyone else from any other church. They want what they call a seeker who's never who never goes to a church. Sensitive means the way that we are going to structure our church so that those seekers feel comfortable in our church. We are going to give a light show. The pastor is going to come in flip-flops and an open-collar shirt. The music is going to be at 150 decibels. It's going to be contemporary music. There's not going to be any Bible words used. We're going to use the new version called the message, which is it's like the cotton patch version, brethren. It's pitiful. 
you know, bring me back the NIV. Did you ever think you'd hear me say that? I don't really mean it. I speak as a fool, but you ought to see the message, the book, the book that these men are using. And so they're turning it into a nightclub. There's a food court. Everyone is, everyone is invited to join a little club in the church where you can get together with other of the membership that likes your particular carnal activity. So you got a light show, you've got rock bands playing, there's hardly, the, the message is, yes, it's taken from the message. The message is taken from a book called The Message, and it's a feel-good, short little sermon on how you can improve your professional career. Everyone feels good. There's lots of activities, and that's called a church. And in 20 years, he's taken it to 15,000 members, and he's taught 50,000 pastors in this country. And that book, go to Sam's and see if you run into that book. Go to Sam's and see if you can get around the pile of that book. Seeker sensitive. Adapt the church to make John Q. Public, who doesn't give a rip about religion, comfortable. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to say any more about that. Go home and punch in, in quotation marks, seeker sensitive. You'll enjoy it. Type in Rick Warren, Saddleback Community. You'll enjoy that. You say you're jealous because your church doesn't have 15,000 members. I and the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus must be jealous too then. We'll trust this. And, and then we'll read the next verse. Let's see if Jesus was seeker sensitive. He has, listen, these people, these people followed him across the sea one direction. They stood up all night waiting for him, and they followed him back across the sea the other direction. Now that shows a lot of commitment, doesn't it? Jesus in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You didn't recognize that the miracles were teaching you something, that I am the Son of God from heaven. You just got your bellies filled, and you want your bellies filled again, because that was yesterday's dinner, and now it's time for breakfast the next day. Now how's that for an offensive introduction to a group of 5,000 that want to build the megachurch of Capernaum? But brethren, I hope if you were in the crowd you'd understand what he was saying. We now enter into the tighter context of this chapter, beginning at verse 27. That's the background. Will you remember what's happened? Three miracles, men who have followed and seen enough to be convinced that this is a special man. And he fed them with bread, and they are chasing him for the bread. Do you know in verse 15 it says that they wanted to make him king by force? Do you see that in verse 15? They wanted to take him by force and make him king. May I tell you something that that verse says to me? That verse to me is a perfect description of the praise bands that are functioning right now. All the praise bands that are out there right now wanting to sing about Jesus, their king. But do you know what? None of them want to bear a cross, and none of them want to read the Bible and live by it. And neither did these men, but they wanted to make him a king because it got them someplace. And you know there's a market niche called gospel music. Verse 27. 
And brethren, hear these words. If you can hear these words tonight, it says a whole lot about you. If you can hear these words with understanding and it moves your heart at all, it tells you something about you. It tells you that God the Father has drawn you. It tells you that you are in possession of eternal life. If you understand these verses and they, and you can't even imagine chasing the Lord Jesus Christ to get another fish sandwich. Ye seek me, he said in verse 26, not because ye saw the miracles and understood them, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. They did see the miracles, but they didn't see them with understanding. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world to secure everlasting life for believers. The, the book of John is written like the book of First John. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. This chapter here is to provoke your believing on Him. But it's telling us a story about those that didn't believe on Him. So the, the lesson here, we start in verse 27, and we're going to run to the end of the chapter to cover the tighter context that surrounds verse 53. Labor not for the meat that perisheth. These people wanted a fish sandwich. Jesus said, there is other food, there is other bread that you need to be eating that works to, to provide and sustenance for everlasting life instead of just life in this world. Verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? They still sound committed, don't they? Don't they sound like good disciples? Brethren, what do we, Lord, what do we need to do in order to work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, brethren, it gets painful in here reading some of these verses, and I hope you won't read ahead of me, and I hope you'll read with me, because it gets a little painful to realize how wicked the heart of men is. How wicked it is. How profane it is. And brethren, if it weren't for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, ours is just like that. And that is one test that you ought to admit tonight, that if it weren't for the grace of God teaching you from the inside out, you would have no regard for God either, and filling your belly would be more important to you than believing on the Son of God. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. That does not, that is not a verse teaching that God works in us the believing. That is taught elsewhere, but it's not taught in this verse. Right. They have asked what they ought to do to do the works of God, and the work that they can do to please God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God sent into this world and testified of Him by all these miracles. Verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? We'll believe on you if you show us a sign. Is this the same group of people that saw the disease healed? Yes, it is. That saw the, the loaves multiplied into a huge meal and it says they saw it and believed? Yes. 
Are they the ones that were shocked that Jesus beat them into Capernaum when they know He didn't take a boat? Show us a sign. What dost thou work? Look at their reasoning. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they asking for? More bread. More bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Here's one of those negatives, brethren. Here's one of those negatives like I used this morning that doesn't mean negative in an absolute sense, but in a relative sense. Moses did give them bread from heaven, but it wasn't the true bread from heaven. I'm chasing a rabbit. Can you, can you bear with me for a moment? That not doesn't mean not absolutely. That not means not relatively that the bread that came down in Moses' day was not the true bread. This is the true bread. I am the true bread. He's about to teach. You know, this morning you may have been surprised for me to take a knot and say it wasn't a knot. It was a knot only. But brethren, that's how we understand the Word of God. Because if you go back and read in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, God did send down bread from heaven, and it was called manna. Enough on that point. I don't want to chase any of those, or, or very many of those, tonight. Jesus answered and said, verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Now that, he's, he's laying it out there again. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. If you've got bread, if you've got bread better than Moses gave us, we want that bread. If you've got bread that not only will satisfy our bellies, but will give us eternal life. No one wants to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell. If you've got bread that will fill my belly and give me everlasting life evermore, give us this bread. Let us eat this bread forever. Jesus, let this exchange. Verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread. Amen. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And brethren, that is not any if-then conditional statement. That's a statement of evidence that if a man comes to Jesus Christ, comes to Him running, comes to Him falling, comes to Him confessing, and comes to Him believing, he'll never die. Because that's a man that is born of God, who is chosen by God, who is justified by Christ, and who will be glorified by Christ. I am the bread of life. And what a difference that little statement makes. People will say all they wish about wanting to escape from hell. They'll say all they want. They'll preach sermons about the feeding of the 5,000 because it's a curious story. If I were to preach to you tonight just a message about the 5,000 and take 25 minutes to do it, do you know that I'm capable of entertaining you with the story of the 5,000? I could do it out of my back pocket and work two jobs. It's not the work of the ministry. And it brings people into the church that are not truly born again or converted. Because they find pleasure in those stories. But the pleasure has got to be in the bread of life Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is, he is a divider. He, there was a division among the people because of Him we read over and over in this epistle of John. 
Verse 36, But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. When did he say that? He said that when he said, this is the work of God. If you want to do the work of God, of doing something that pleases God, and that matches up with His will for your life, then believe on Him whom God hath sent into this world. The reason he said it is, because they weren't real believers, even though they were saying they were believers, even though they were looking like they were believers, they weren't real believers, because their belief was in the curiosity of the miracles. Their belief was in the belly satisfying of the food. It was not in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is the Son of God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And there is no other religion or name under heaven given among men, whereby they must be saved. Because we will stand before that judge one of these days soon. And if He does not find your name in His book of life, you will be cast forever into the lake of fire. And it's the bread of life Himself that ought to be the concern of our souls. It doesn't matter how much money you're making or where you live or what you drive or what you wear today. Girls, it doesn't matter how pretty you are. are you, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He's the Son of God and that you'll answer to Him one of these days for your entire life? Do you believe that He's the giver of eternal life and if He doesn't give it, there isn't a chance for your soul? I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I want to remind you who he's talking to in this verse. He is not giving a lesson to his disciples about unconverted elect, or about converted elect, or about the five phases of salvation, or anything else like that. He is talking to these unbelievers and telling them a general rule that is condemning them. He gave them verse 37 not to encourage them. He gave them verse 37 to condemn them. All the Father giveth me, the elect that were given to me, for whom I came into this world, the rule for them is they all come to me. Why aren't you coming to me? You're condemning yourselves. Do you know how the apostle once turned to a crowd and said, you have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, I turn to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 13. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Amen. That is the general rule, brethren. That is the general rule. If you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are already under condemnation, and that condemnation will be pronounced against you in the day of judgment. This church does not stand on a position that says most of those that don't believe are going to be justified in the great day of judgment. That is ridiculous. That is a fatalistic doctrine that leaves men to sleep in their lives. I want you tonight coming, running, falling, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to this supper. Amen. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You ought to be coming to me. And anyone that does come to me, I will never turn them away. But you people aren't coming to me. You're coming for the loaves. You're coming for the fishes. You don't want me. You want your bellies filled. And isn't that a problem in every church and every soul? They're belly worshipers. They mind earthly things. Philippians 3.19 Rather than loving the Lord Jesus Christ, what a difference between Paul and those belly worshippers. Paul said, I count all things but dung that I may 
Know Him. Win Him. In Philippians chapter 3. In verse 38, he continues, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. He is teaching the doctrine of election, and He is teaching the doctrine of election not to encourage the elect, not to instruct the church, although in an indirect way for us, He is teaching the doctrine of election to condemn those people that were following Him, that were not following Him with the right motive for the right reason, and to love Him for the sake of eternal life. That is what He's teaching right here. The coming to the Father in verse 37 is believing on Him. It is from verse 35. It is not some mysterious, passive, legal, vital anything. It is running, falling, repenting, confessing, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the general rule of the Word of God is, Jesus Christ is coming in flaming fire with His mighty angels in judgment on all of them that believe not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the rule of the Bible. If God has exceptions, we'll teach them, preach them, and believe them. But the exceptions don't help us. We want the rule. And the rule here is Him condemning these unbelievers because they're proving they were not in the Father's will. They were not in His redemption. And, and it's because of that they're not believing. Do you know what? He says this in chapter 10. And ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. He says this in chapter 8. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. You're old enough to believe. You're old enough to believe. And every one of you better in here better be coming and believing. We are not going to trust election to save us. We are going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. Amen. And we're going to run to Him. And we're going to make our calling and election sure by running, falling, repenting, confessing and believing Him. That's the only way you know anything about your election. I could preach election every Sunday morning and every Sunday night, and it would do you no good. I want to preach the bread of life to you, and I hope you want to eat Him and drink His blood tonight. Because if you don't, you don't stand a chance in that great day of judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ will be looking at you, and you will have had opportunity to have believed on Him, and you will have shown Him the depravity of your heart and the wickedness of your soul, and that you were never in the number of the elect because you did not believe on Him. That's what the Bible teaches. If he has his little group of unconverted Israelites in Romans chapter 11 and a few in 1 Corinthians 10, that's between them and the Lord. Verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me. Now he's just, he's just listed the will of God concerning what Jesus did and for whom he did it in verses 38 and 39. Now he takes that same will of God and applies it to the elect. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There is no if-then condition in that verse 40. There is in that 40 that it was the will of God that Jesus Christ would come into this world and by laying down his life would secure everlasting life for believers. Because that is what gives believers encouragement by reading the book of John. And that's why it was written. 
Jesus Christ came to fulfill the will of God, which was to pay the legal price so that all believers could have eternal life. That is not an if-then conditional statement. It's a statement of declaration of evidence that when you believe, when you see the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe on Him, that puts you and makes you and shows you as part of the number that the Lord Jesus Christ came to die for according to the will of God. But I want you to see that in verse 40 we have believing, and in verse 35 we have believing, and that's what it means to come to Christ, and that what it, what it means to eat Christ, and that's what it means to drink Christ. Go back to verse 35. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. So what does coming mean? Eating. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So what does believing mean? Drinking. Verse 35 teaches us what eating and drinking is. It is coming and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to go on. I hope you understand that. I could teach some fatalistic legal way. Why would I want to do that? You know why John wrote? You know there isn't a word in this, you know there isn't a word in the New Testament written to unbelievers? It's all written to believers to encourage them what their belief means. Because when you believe on the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, it is the proof of your election and your regeneration. And that's why they wrote to comfort our souls so that we would know that we have truly laid hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and laid hold of the eternal life that is in Him. Do you know the Bible does tell us to lay hold of eternal life? I'm trying to help you do that right now with John 6. Jesus gives them a a lesson on election. 37, 38, 39, 40. Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Their primary definition people. They just couldn't figure out he wasn't in a plastic wrapper. He didn't have a bread tie around his neck. He wasn't, he wasn't sliced up into slices. They just couldn't figure out what he meant when he said, I am the bread of life. And they murmured at him. See, they're angry at him now. He's just condemned them with a the doctrine of election. And so they pick on his words that he said, I am the bread of life instead of falling at his feet and saying, Lord, explain this hard saying to thy servant. Instead of that, they murmur at him for saying he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Three miracles. Would you remind me again? Remind me. What was the first one? Healing diseases. Number two, feeding 5,000. Number three, walking on the water. Isn't this just Jesus? Haven't we grown up with Him? Don't we know His father and His mother and His brothers and His sisters? Now, brethren, we're not making fun of these people, but we're angry about it. But if it wasn't for the grace of God, do you know what? Anytime in your life you ever acted like these people? Verse 43 Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. He knew they were murmuring against him. Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I hope you, my brethren, are understanding the context 
that I try to teach you the Word of God, that verse, John 6.44, that we love, is not in a description of the five phases of salvation Jesus gave to His disciples. It is in the context of condemnation to people who would not believe on Him as the Son of God. Quit murmuring among yourselves about the statement, I am the bread of, I am the bread which came down from heaven, because no man can come to me, no man can see me or believe on me, no man is going to come running, running, repenting, confessing, and believing on me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now there are five phases of salvation in here. There, the Father's will, is that in there? Did Jesus coming give life for the world in there? Is drawing by the Father in there? Is believing in there? Is raised up at the last day in there? It's all in there. But he's not, he's, he's condemning those unbelieving Jews that were looking to have their bellies filled. They were belly worshipers. And he explains a positive aspect of regeneration in John 6.44. And that is the drawing power of the grace of God in taking that regenerate new man, opening his heart, and letting him see and drawing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only that change in spirit and that positive drawing force that is put on him that will make any man see and come to and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can come except the Father which hath sent me draw him, which begins with changing his nature from a fleshly one to a spiritual one, and then opening the heart of that person to believe. As it is written in the prophets, Jesus said this doctrine isn't all that new. It was written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. All whom the elect shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. They hadn't. That's why they weren't coming. Remember the context. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. He needles them again. When I said that the Father is going to teach every man, that doesn't mean that it's a face-to-face teaching where you're sitting in a class, you literalists. You're probably going to question me about that statement in John 6.45, but that's not what I meant because none of you have seen the Father, but I have. Remember? Pull out the saber called the sword of the Spirit and poke the wool and see what happens. He pokes the wool again. I hope you can see that. I have seen the Father. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's a wonderful little statement. You know there's no if-then conditional statement in that at all, isn't there? He that believeth in the present tense hath everlasting life is in the full possession of life when he's believing. So, so So plain, so simple. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. He says it again. I am that bread of life. Second time now, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. A man that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is in possession of everlasting life. I am the bread of life. You ought to be believing on me instead of murmuring against me. Verse 52. Getting a little worked up now, aren't they? 
The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Flesh. Is this the first time that the word flesh has been introduced? No, it's there in verse 51 as he's comparing bread that I will give is my flesh. Bread and flesh being put for each other. They're wanting to know, how's this man going to give us his flesh? They haven't had heard a word yet, have they? With understanding. They're literalists. And brethren, when you go into the Word of God, this is a spiritual book as he's about to tell us in about ten verses. This is a spiritual book. And you better study it as a spiritual book. You don't pick yourself up a concordance and a dictionary and figure out this book. This isn't Dick and Jane. This is the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, and it's a spiritual book. And do you know how many events there are like this in the Gospel of John alone? I'm going to help you remember in just a minute. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. They're fighting now, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Does Jesus say, Oh, you poor folks, I don't want you confused about what I'm saying. I don't want you confused. Let me try again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Notice that. It's not that you can't get, you have no life in you. By the fact that they are rejecting Jesus Christ in the face of three miracles and not believing on him, ye have no life in you. He doesn't alter a thing. He just words it a little more strongly and pokes them a little harder with what he said. Now I'm going to read a few verses that just elaborate on verse 53. Instead of modifying his language to make it easier for them to understand, he just makes it stricter in what he says. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Now has he said that before? I mean, yes, he says it back here in the last couple of verses, but early on he started off a little more gently, didn't he? Now he's getting tougher by saying you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Could an Israelite drink any blood at any time for any reason? No. No. So he's saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I will raise him up at the last day. I hope you're all with me because I want to see you all on the last day. And you aren't going to make the difference tonight, but brethren... I sure would like to know if God made, God has made the difference for me by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's, verse 55, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Because a person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall live forever. He brings up manna for the third time to rub it in their faces. I am superior to any manna that came down in the days of your fathers. And if you don't eat my flesh, which is I am the bread of life, and if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He just, how seeker-sensitive is the Lord Jesus Christ? And these people were seeking. These people weren't just out on the street. They were following the Lord Jesus Christ. But their hearts were not right. And Jesus saw right through them. And that's why we have John 6 in our Bibles. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I'll tell you one thing. Israel was a shaken. 
they'd never heard a message like that in any synagogue in Israel. Here's how it continues. Verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, that is the stricter, stronger, harsher language of verses 53 through 58, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can understand it? Who can grasp what you're driving at? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Does this offend you that I've told you to eat my flesh and drink my blood? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? What if I gave you another miracle and just flat out ascended right up into heaven right now where I was before I came down to preach this message to you? Would that do any good? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Remember the word quickeneth means to make alive. It is the Holy Spirit that makes a man alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. There is no wisdom in this earth in any man or in any ten men that can understand the things of God without the blessing of the Spirit of God. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I am teaching a spiritual message and I am teaching a message about everlasting life and only those taught by the Spirit and quickened by the Spirit can understand what I'm saying. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. He tells the disciples that are murmuring about his hard speech, It is not the hard speech. It is the dull hearers. The problem is not with my speech. It is with the dead hearers. What if I was to ascend up into heaven right now in front of them? It wouldn't help because it is the Spirit that maketh a man alive. And if he's not made alive, he can't understand anything, even if I was to go straight up into heaven right now. Therefore, that's why I said to you, except the Father which hath sent me draw you, no man can come unto me. Verse 66. Now that's not a very good invitation to them. Do you like it? Amen. Amen. Would you follow the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere? Even if He turned and said to you, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Would you say, I don't care? From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, And brethren, do you understand the difference that regeneration makes? Listen to what this man has to say. And please, do you remember Matthew 16 and what Jesus said about this confession? Please remember your Bibles. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, Simon Peter. You twelve, you going to leave me too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe. We believe. And are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered this statement in Matthew chapter 16 by saying, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And doesn't that match up with verse 45 where it said, They shall all be taught of God? 
because the elect will be taught of God and these twelve were taught of God. That's why He said, we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I have chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. That is John chapter 6, brethren, in its context. Verse 53, the Roman Catholics use it to teach transubstantiation because it says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Do you know what that says about them? That says about them they are as ignorant and as dead and as unregenerate as the Jews that he spoke to in that chapter by taking it literally. We do not care how verses sound. We want the sense of those words. For I'm not going to... Who cares what the Catholics believe? Do you know what there is in the Gospel of John? Will you, re, will you listen to me for a moment? When he drove the money changers out of the temple, the rulers of the Jews came to him and said, By what authority doest thou this? Do you know what his answer was? He said, Where, where is he when he did that? Where did he drive them out? Where, where were the money changers? In the temple. So where is he standing? In the temple. They come and said, By what authority do you do stuff like this? He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Do you understand the Lord Jesus Christ that we worship? He doesn't bow to any man. He is not seeker sensitive. He turned to those wicked Jews and said, destroy this temple and raise it up, and I'll raise it up in three days. They immediately said, this temple took 46 years to build. How do you think you're going to do it in three days? And they remembered that for three and a half years and they used that to condemn him when he was on trial. And do you know that he knew that when he said it in John chapter 2? But because they're literalists, they were taking words in their primary definitions instead of understanding it's a spiritual book. And if we're going to be spiritual, and if we're going to feed on Christ, we have to see Jesus Christ in it. And when he said, destroy this temple, he meant, when I die, and this body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost in the fullest sense that has ever been on this earth, I will raise it up in three days and brethren, He raised it up in three days and three nights because we believe in a 72-hour Jesus. That's John chapter 2. Oh, there's so many things. I I had so much pleasure. John John chapter 3. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He had a doctorate degree from a bastion of orthodoxy. He comes to Jesus Christ and Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, How do I get back into my mother's womb? Oh, brethren, when we read the Bible, let's look for Christ in it and not be literalists and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Poor Nicodemus. Now the Lord explained it to him. We come to John chapter 4. Jesus is alone in the area of Samaria, sitting at a well. And a woman comes out to him and he says, Can I have a drink? And she says, Why do you have any interest in me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of him and he would give you the water of life. You ought to to read John. I can't teach you every chapter in the Bible tonight. But it's in John 4 and it's absolutely beautiful. She said, you don't even have anything to get water out of the well. He says a little bit more to her. By the time he gets done, she says... I've heard that Christ was to come and would tell us all things. 
I that speak unto thee am he. I want to tell you what that little woman did. That little woman ran back into town and said, I just met a man that told me everything that I ever did is not this to Christ. And they, the men of that town came running back out and there was quite a revival service there among the Samaritans. But he said he was the water of life. And whosoever drinketh of me shall never thirst. Do you understand that? That drinking is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And in that great day when we stand before the judgment bar of God, we will not be thirsty in any way. Because out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water of confident assurance in the presence of our Father who has elected us and sent His Son to die for us. Because we believed on Him, we laid hold of that everlasting life and we know and we can live and be assured of our salvation. The disciples come back and Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you don't know of. And there they go. They didn't understand him. I'm giving you examples of how we ought to take things spiritually when we read a spiritual book. Jesus said in John chapter 7, He that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I wonder what doctrine the Catholics want to concoct for that one. You know, there's so many more of them. I am the door and I am the shepherd of the sheep in one context. Now, how are you both? He's speaking spiritually. I hope you understand John 6. I need to ask you a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus healed all kinds of diseases when he was on earth because he was the Son of God? Or is it a novelty to your mind? Or do you recognize his divine power as the promised Messiah? His name shall be called the Mighty God. Do you believe Jesus multiplied a lunch to feed 5,000? They did. Is it a novelty to you? Or do you wish you could have the bread from heaven? Do you believe Jesus walked on water and proved again he was the blessed Son of God? Do you believe eternal life by God's grace in Christ is more important than any bread? Do you believe on Jesus Christ, whom God sent into this world, as the work God expects out of you? Do you believe Jesus of Nazareth was and is the true bread of life that gives eternal life? Do you believe God gave the elect alone to Jesus Christ to redeem and lose none of them? Do you believe God's will sent Jesus to secure eternal life? For any that see and believe on him. Do you believe that if God had not drawn, you would neither come nor believe? Do you believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God from heaven? Then you have eternal life. Do you believe that eating and drinking Jesus Christ is coming to and believing on him? Do these sayings, which are impossible for natural men to accept, offend you in any way? Do you have any interest tonight in quitting our religion 
and living your life without Jesus? Do you understand you can come to Him and believe on Him right now to prove your eternal life? Do you understand that? Have I said enough? That you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on Him to know that you have eternal life? Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the extent that you will obey Him in all of your life? That's how we make our calling and election sure. Brethren, we're going to sing two songs now. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Will you run to the Lord Jesus Christ with me? Running, falling, repenting, confessing, and believing that He is our only hope of salvation. He is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world, as the woman said of Samaria, who came into this world to secure eternal life for those that believe on Him. Will you do that with me? Let's believe on Him together. And let's bless the cup of blessing and show our common union in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.